You're listening to And So I Followed an Alternative Religion podcast with Graham McMillan Mason. Episode 7, Making Blair. Hey, welcome back to you, and so I followed an alternative religion podcast, episode 7. So, um, yeah, starting to get the hang of this thing. Um, seven episodes down, two episodes of ten questions. Um, I'm not as nervous as I used to be, but I, yeah, this podcast I was nervous, I'll be honest. Um, it's with Macon Blair, but um, before I go into the podcast... I do want to start by asking you if you're back and you haven't subscribed yet, go on to iTunes and type in Alternative Religion and it pops straight up. You have Alternative Religion. It's like the easiest way to find it rather than typing in the whole fucking title, which is, again, like I said last week, way too long, but, you know, I've done it now. It's it's there. If you're more of an Android user, if you're like, yeah, fuck Apple, if you go on to um, at CFAR podcast... Um, or, or just CFAR Podcast on SoundCloud, sorry, at CFAR Podcast is, is, of course, the Twitter. Yeah, I messed that up. Um, yeah, that's fine, though. I, I make mistakes. I'm only human, right? Um, but, yeah, again, talking about mistakes, uh, this is a little bit later than usual. So, normally, I do it on a Monday. As you know, 10 o'clock, I'm sure you're all sitting there waiting in anticipation for the podcast to come through, thinking, where's Graham? Where's Graham? I need Graham in my life. Probably no one thinking that. Um but yeah, so this has gone out at 9am UK time on Tuesday. Um, kudos if you're listening that early. Um, super well done, actually. But when it comes to the podcast, I just kind of ran out of time. Um, those of you who know me or if you don't know me, I kind of chuck myself in at absolutely everything all at once. I have like that personality of like an activist where I'm like, yeah, I'll do a podcast. Yeah, I'll play a show. Yeah, I'll write a book. Uh, the book thing's not quite there yet. Um, as you can probably imagine, uh, my attention has deflected towards this for this evening. Um but yeah, so I have shows this week with uh, Drab Majesty. I play as the Igatong um, alongside my friend Eugene, who is a noise project called Heat Death of the Sun, and that is insanely big for me. Um, I don't mean to self-promote too much, but we are playing the Clooney, what would be tonight, so tomorrow night, because I'm recording this on Monday, um, in Newcastle with Drab Majesty, and we're playing with well, I'm playing with Drab Majesty or supporting Drab Majesty on Wednesday um, at Nice and Sleazy's in Glasgow without Eugene doing that as like a, a solo show. But um, yeah, uh, long story short, uh, time kind of ran out, but I really wanted to get this podcast out pretty quick. Me and Megan had this conversation only about two weeks ago, I think. Um, really good guy i i asked him like ages ago to do it because i'm a huge fan of his films um that he's acted in that he's co-produced on and also that he's of course now directed um not really expecting a reply to be honest but he was so accommodating um he literally was like i, I can't right now but i'm definitely going to pencil in time for you i definitely want to help you as most as best as i can sorry and and it, of course th- that came to fruition um and if you don't know Macon Blair, um, you probably know the face. Um, he's been in Blue Ruin, where he played the main character. Um, revenge film, a fantastic revenge film. Like I mean, but with a bit of a twist. Like you know, revenge films a lot of the time have like this hero that can just like kill everyone and just 
fucking destroy shit and everything in that's in his way you know kind of like old boy in a sense um which of course has that twist at the end but you know that scene where he's going to and just kicking fuck out of everyone yeah and blue ruin's not really like that it's kind of a little bit more like you would expect a normal human being to go on a revenge mission and that is something that i seen at the cinema and i was immediately bought into his style of acting and also, uh, the film itself was amazing, and I, I really, really liked the film um, in general, but his acting really added to it. I really felt like he nailed the character, and then um, Green Room came out, which I think is something more people probably know um, about. Obviously, had uh, Patrick Stewart in that, and the late um, Anton Yelchin, um, which is, again, unfortunate, and we, and we touch on those actors a little bit in the in the podcast itself, but the film, amazing, um, actually a film that's already been brought up on this podcast, it was with Justin Pearson, I don't know if anyone remembers that conversation, if you've listened to it, um, but we talk about the film, and, and that's a film that surrounds a punk band kind of accidentally walking in on neo-Nazis doing something they maybe shouldn't be doing, which generally they fucking do, fucking Nazis do that shit. Um, but yeah, and then most importantly, his newest film is his directorial debut, which is called I Don't Feel at Home in This World Anymore. Um, that's got Elijah Wood in it. I think everyone knows Elijah Wood mainly for things like Lord of the Rings and whatnot, but Elijah plays a weird character, and I hope he doesn't mind me saying that if he ever listens to this. Um, and I, I remember seeing him in Maniac, and like he just has these crazy eyes that he can just kind of, pull off and, and the same with Sin City he does the same in that and in this film he's not like a he, he's certainly not a, a serial killer the way he's in in Maniac and, and you know uh, Sin City but he's definitely kind of a little bit left of center in, in the way he is as a character and um, the film itself is just so like dark funny gory um, but at the same time it doesn't overdo the gore and it was probably one of my favorite films of like the last year um truly amazing film and i mean that and i don't mean that because macon agreed to come on the podcast um those films and and the things that he's done most recently is what made me want to hound him and, and chase him down to get this podcast um and i'm so pleased that he agreed to do it so normally at this point what i would do as i'd play his song by uh, the musician or the artist i never really thought that when i was interviewing writers which we've got coming up and, and actors i wouldn't really have anything to play beforehand so bear with me i don't know if this is going to work but there's an amazing scene that i love in blue ruin um where macon's character dwight um has done something to start the cycle of revenge and it i, I don't think it's meant to be funny but it kind of makes me laugh um but like I say, I don't know if this is going to work because normally you have a song which you can listen to and you normally listen to it through your headphones and decide if you like that band and then you have the conversation directly afterwards. But, you know, like film is an art form too and, and you know, the dialogue um, doesn't always have to be something you can see on the screen. So I hope this works and I really hope it piques your interest in the film and then straight afterwards you get to hear what I thought was a great story from Macon uh, regarding his life in Fulham, where he sees things going forward and, and where he's at right now. Um, so yeah, you know, I'll get the clip played just now um, and I hope you enjoy the chat. I will speak to you soon. So, why now? Wait, Cleveland gets released? 
Well, I thought there'd be something on the news, but there's nothing. I killed him. That operates out of Charlottesville. Every time I see one pass through town, or on the way to the airport, fucking June, fucking prom. If you don't own the Where pain. are your children? Home. The sitter. Let's get back in your car. What? They never called the police. Hey, how are you doing today? Oh, good. Ha. Sorry for a second. Ha. When you said when you said introduction, I thought no. you were going to be to listeners like hey listeners um no, I'm doing... i never do that <laughs> I've already... we're four seconds into this and i've already made a mess of it I'm... i made a I'm mess of it right. how, are... <laughs> how are you how are you today i'm okay it's late it's late here it's cold it looks sunny it's like that kind of day when you have sunglasses on and then you realize they're getting blown off by the the weather i don't know if you have that in texas we have that in glasgow so um, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's pretty warm here today. So every now and again, it'll get cold, but it's, it's like once or twice a year. Not, not too often. I went to Florida once and that was just too much. Like that was yeah. like a sauna. So maybe, maybe heat isn't my thing. I don't know. Well, um, you're in the spot if it's not. Yeah. 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 True. Very true. Um, yeah. so I, I feel like most people will know this. I feel like everyone will know who you are, what you've done, where you've been. I'd be very surprised if eh, not. No they, no, they won't. To me, they would. You know, the people okay. I don't know, I, I, I don't know them. Um, <laughs> but for those who, who maybe don't know um, anything about you, what would be a brief introduction in as many or as few words as you would like to give? Oh, uh, let's go with as few. Um, my name is Macon Blair. I, I work as a... Uh, as a writer and sometimes as an actor and recently, surprisingly, as a director. Um, I live in Texas. Uh, eh, that's, that's, that's a good little starter kit, I think. Yeah, that is a good starter kit. And I mean, um, for those of the people who don't know stuff you've been in, I suppose the things that come straight to my mind would be Blue Ruin, which is where I discovered you. Um, of course, sure. Green Room, which was a pretty big hit. <laughs> And then you've had, obviously, your directorial debut, um, which was on Netflix, which is probably one of my favorite films I've seen this year. Um, oh. Oh, no, I, I mean that. Like, I, I don't bullshit anyone, man. I mean that. That was good. Um, but, Thank you so much. That feels great to hear. Oh, me, me and the wife, like, buzzed off it, man. But, like, it, it was it was great. I ain't going to gush. I ain't going to gush. Um, oh, cool. But anyone who's listened to the podcast probably knows the script. But nine times out of ten... I have a musician. Um, I'm a huge film fan. I run a film club. 
So it's a total honor for me to have one of my favorite actors on the show. Um, oh, it's my pleasure to be here. Thank you for asking. No, me. no problem. Thanks for even replying to the message. Um, sure. Regarding what I like doing, and people who listen to the show will know that I always ask a really cheesy question to begin with, and then we just see where it flows. So okay. normally it's what's the first band that made you fall in love with music. And I think everyone likes music, but when it comes to film, maybe that's a little different. Because you have to discover different genres, for, uh, ugh, different genres of films. What would you say was your earliest memory of falling in love with film, movies, and you know what was the first film you watched that really made you think, "I want to do that"? It, it's a couple of different ones. The first one I remember seeing in the theater was Pinocchio. Um, I got really bent out of shape when they lit the uh, when they lit the fire in the in the whale's belly. I remember uh, that that really freaked me out. the The first one that I remember just being totally blown away by, uh, in 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 the sense of like I I didn't want to talk about anything other than that or or do anything that was not directly related to that was Star Wars when that first came out. I was three, uh, almost four when it first came out and my dad took me to see it and then he took me to the the store afterwards and got me a little one of the R2D2 action figures and that for for a big chunk of my childhood that was uh um an obsession but i think the one um that that first made me start to think about uh, that m- movies have to be made by people they don't just appear somewhere and you watch them but there is uh, steps that go into making them was uh, Frankenstein um, because they would on uh, on the weekends on the on a local TV channel they would show all the old movies like old Tarzan movies and old uh, Universal monster movies and so Frankenstein was one that I just clicked with very early on and and uh, my brothers and I would get books from the library that would talk about how um, how they did the makeup and 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 how they would for for Frankenstein also for the Wolfman and Creature from the Black Lagoon all of those yeah. but uh, specifically that one um, and that sort of got me thinking uh, and and interested in how like w- what goes into to making these these stories that we were so excited about. So you were like a, a horror fan quite early on. I figured you would be. I don't. I just I picked that up from watching what you've been in. It's not direct horror but it, it has an element of gore behind it yeah yeah um i mean uh i think it, it, as we were talking about jeremy and i and a bunch of other uh pals that we grew up with um I, I just as fun we would we would make our own movies but a lot of the time it was we were it's not that we weren't interested it was just we were putting more of our focus on trying to figure out how to do uh, effects and yeah. and and gags and stuff like that. It, it it was not like let's come up with a really complicated, intricate, yeah. uh, finely developed story and and performances. We would kind of make that up as we went along, but but all of the the creative focus would be in okay, how do we how would we do this shot where a guy's got to fall out a window and get hit by a car? Or how to, you know yeah. those sorts of things. Uh, yeah, the sort of the 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 craft of effects and stuff like that is, is really what, what drew us into it. And maybe the storytelling aspects came later if they ever did, but <laughs> it, it, it was not the first thing. So the eighties would have been quite a big deal for you then regarding films. You would have been like, your like 
10, 11 maybe, and like the 80s, I go back to the 80s, I mean, and the, the effects, the, the horror in the 80s was good, there's no two ways about it, and I think oh, t- stuff like the reanimator, yeah. like the reanimator was one of the first things I've seen, um, and it was just like, wow, I, I realized I just did the, the, the O face and no one can see my face when they're listening to this, um, but that's... <laughs> But yeah, I mean, um, I I picked up a lot from. I mean, you're. Uh, I'm skipping well ahead here, but the scene. Um, it's weird though because you, you you talk how it was about effects and stuff like that, and in, in your most recent film, I think the thing that really shocked me was the windpipe scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like mm-hmm. like that was like a moment where I was like, oh god, I've seen nothing, but I've seen everything. Like that's the most brutal thing in the world. Like, did you ever yeah, get affected was... by stuff like that? Like. Stuff that wasn't necessarily gory, but like mentally, it's it's got something about it because you can feel that impact that person's you know supposed to be feeling. For sure, that uh, that sort of stuff came later, but uh, just as we got more sort of interested in, okay, if we if we agree that if you do a huge bucket of blood on the wall with it with a fun sort of uh, detonation, then then that's one kind of way to to shock or surprise. <laughs> Um, an audience, and and so we would we would play around with that sort of thing, and then I just think as as time went on, it was starting to get interested in well, well, what if we could make something that's equally as horrific and just do it with a sound effect, or um, or just do it with a particular edit, um, or or you know, still trying to achieve that same sort of gasp uh, reflex, but but just playing around with different ways to do it. Um, and also the other thing was I there was just something uh, I I would have a hard time articulating why I wanted to do this but there was something sort of uh that that felt intuitively right where I didn't want Ruth the character that Melanie was playing to uh ever you know grab hold of a gun and suddenly know how to blast everybody away or also to to actively willingly participate in 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 killing somebody like she she it, it kind of ends up happening and i thought maybe we could mine that for laughs but i think when she, with in the windpipe scene it's just sort of a fight or flight reflex and she just she flails out as best she can in that moment but then as soon as she realizes oh shit i think i've done some real damage yeah. to this guy's throat she's 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 uh she she feels horrible that that she did that she's kind of trying to in her own way ask him if he's okay and of course it, it gets worse from there but yeah um, I, w- what i did not want was for her to to totally smash the bad guy and then kind of stand over him victoriously like i i wanted her to yeah. be disoriented by the whole thing so I, I I went off on a, a bit of a tangent there, I suppose. Um, and apologies if my nose seems, sounds terrible. I've had cold for like six days, by the way. But no worries, no worries. Apologies to anyone listening. But um, so yeah, <laughs> I veered off a little bit there. But um, so how old were you when you started making films with like your friends? And and was Jeremy? Was Jeremy someone you came through school with? Yeah, we grew up in the same neighborhood, and he and I started making. And and that it, a lot of times it, it, it gets in articles and stuff it says it was just he and i but there was actually a large group of people a lot of them actually if you remember in in the movie that i did last year when one of the bad guys robs a a wealthy family and he kind of beats up the husband um 
that's Chris, who was one of the guys that we grew up with in uh, in Blue Ruin. The guy that I stab in the bathroom uh, in the in the at the beginning of the movie. That's Sandy. He's another guy that we grew up with. There's a, a lot of these uh, people that were in that group growing up will appear in a lot of these movies in various places. Anyways, um, I lost my damn train of thought. What was I saying? <laughs> Oh right! How old were uh, you yes. when you were doing it? Yeah. I, yeah, we started like around sixth grade or so. Um, okay. But be- before that, there was another uh, uh, this older guy who was a babysitter of my uh, for me and my brothers. Uh, he was about four years older than us. Lived across the street, and he had a, a Super Eight camera, and he made little stop motion animation movies with puppets and stuff. And he kind of taught me the. The, the basics of like moving something yeah. a, one frame taking a shot and, and that sort of thing so uh, but yeah around 6th or 7th grade uh, uh, Jeremy and myself and, and those other guys started the VHS cameras were starting to, to come out and um, so we it was just we had access to them um, Jeremy's mom had a camera and then eventually uh my parents bought a, a VHS camera for home movies and stuff, but we would just take it out on the weekends and do our own thing with it. So that was kind of cool. You had like a community of sorts. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Oh yeah, absolutely. It was yeah. There was. And you still that's do? Just, yeah. yeah. And and that's what we would do. We would just meet up, and there was a little. Like we would figure out what the location was going to be. We were we were always trying to get into. There was like railroad stations that were closed off but we could uh, there were there were ways that we could get around the fence and get in because it was a cool kind of industrial looking location or if that wasn't available for whatever reason we would just go to somebody's house or there was woods near where we lived and we would go to the woods and basically the day would just be finding a location deciding what sorts of scenes we were going to do and how we could loosely put them together and then we would assemble all the We'd usually go to the store and get the caro syrup and food coloring, so we could make uh, so we'd make the fake blood or get firecrackers, so we could make the squibs, that kind of thing, and and just get everything assembled and spend the day working on the on the scenes. That's like me on Halloween. I love Halloween. Yeah. Like you are still love yeah. Halloween, right? Well, America loves Absolutely. Halloween. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I love the 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 vibe and the atmosphere of it. In in recent years, I haven't re- really been able to. It, it usually falls during the week or or, or or we're working or something like that so the, there's not it's been a while since I've been to like a Halloween party or gotten to do a, a, a proper Halloween event lately if I'm in town I'll, it's just taking my, my son trick or treating which is great that's kind of all I need right now we were at, uh, when we were making Green Room Halloween fell on the night when Jeremy was filming the uh, the concert sequence at the at the at the club so that was that was kind of fun because there was all these extras and we were shooting this big rock and roll uh scene with with you know loud raucous music and fun costumes and everything so so that was a fun that was a fun halloween that was a great yeah. film i love that film man that was i, I, w- I will get to that that was a film and a half i liked that a lot um thank you no, it's fun it's, it's, it's ah. again me and my wife watched it and we we buzzed off it and it was uh it was fun. It actually came up in a podcast around three episodes ago. I, I don't know what music he likes, but I, I don't know if you've ever heard of a guy called Justin Pearson, but um, 
he talked about like early 90s and, and fighting with like Nazis at gigs and stuff like that. I was like, hey, have you seen the film Green Room? He was like, yeah, it never got that bad, but... Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, God, I hope not. No. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, God, no, no. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think for, for me, um, I'm, I'm a huge film fan, but admittedly, I would say I wasn't fully aware of you till like 2013 with Blue Ruin, which... I just see. Oh yeah, nobody was. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's, it's sometimes the way it goes, and obviously, you were making stuff from a really young age. Moving forward, um, there must have been a point where, from those ages, did it ever feel like you maybe weren't going to make it, or was it never about making it for you? Was it always about just doing what you enjoy? Because some people don't look at the making it side of it. If it happens, it happens. Uh, both. I mean, yeah, it it. On a daily basis, it was like this is never going to happen because yeah. we had, uh, you know, we we made our 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 we would make short films and and try to uh, we would make f- these small features and try and get them into film festivals, but it was always um, it it just it, it never seemed to to click in a way that would result in us being able to support our families, to pay the bills, to have it be anything other than we're just doing fun stuff because we like it in our off hours. And the and the goal was to I'm I'm making quotes around make it, which mm-hmm. w- was not necessarily to 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 be, um, you know, like making big huge movies but just to be able to have that be the day job because otherwise we were doing these other jobs that were fine they paid the bills but it was not what we wanted to do we wanted to be making movies and so just to to even to break even while making a movie that was considered that that was like the version of making it um and it took a lot longer at first we got out of school we had made a bunch of shorts in school and i think we thought we'd be able to to get some sort of a movie off the ground that of course didn't happen it took a long long time before um uh jeremy directed his first movie and and even then it was because he basically self-funded it and that one came out it got bought it still took another eight years for him to be able to do another one so yeah it certainly felt like and then in the meantime we're just doing these tiny projects which we love doing and look back on fondly but but nobody was making any money and we had to do it in on the weekends and or we'd have to take time off from the jobs that we were doing to to pay the rent um and so we were getting to be in our 30s and absolutely feeling like you know what maybe we were kidding ourselves this is probably not really going to be the thing that we're going to be able to do to support ourselves and um it wasn't until uh jeremy made blue ruin which was also basically it was a combination of self-financed and yeah crowdfunded it was the wages uh, that were crowdfunded the, that, the, yeah, that exactly because yeah, you couldn't put that on credit card i think i heard that somewhere that was insane and i was just like shit that must have been like a it worked out but at the same time that must be a moment it was yeah it was very risky i i was nervous because i was the lead in that one so it 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 certainly feels like if this one tanks then a big part of that blame is gonna lie with me jeremy was infinitely more (laughs) nervous because he had these huge credit card debts and, and and a mortgage on his house and kind of the future of his family wrapped up in the success or the failure of, of that movie. So, so there was a lot riding on it. Um, 
we had a great time and, and we had this small, very tight knit, really enthusiastic crew that really broke their ass on it and 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 we look back on it really fondly. But yeah, it was it was kind of nerve wracking. Um and so when it 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 got into the director's Fortnite section at Cannes, which was a it that felt like a huge um not quite a sigh of relief but wow okay like we, there's a shot at something here and then it sold shortly after that um and he still has to hustle and scrabble to get movies made it's 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 easier because uh people know who he is now and and, and he's got kind of a reputation for doing these cool movies but um it's it's still not even so it's not just like here do anything you want he still has to um to to jump through a bunch of hoops to get things off the ground there's just fewer hoops and and perhaps slightly easier to jump through than before but um even still and and beforehand i mean um i think that you both sort of struggled after murder party weirdly which wasn't tiny but like it, it seemed that there was well mud sticks right Mud sticks and and what came from Murder Party. I mean, how how many years was it between that? Remind me. It was like we shot Murder Party in two thousand five. It came out and did a bunch of festivals in two thousand six, and then uh, it got it got purchased and released around yeah two thousand six as well. Um, and then it was six years later because we didn't shoot Blue Ruin until. 2012 yeah. so it was quite a while and and we had these other scripts that we were trying to get made and they were they were much more um you know looking back at, at the time we had all of our eggs in the basket of, yeah. of of this one particular script but looking back on it it was kind of it it didn't really fit in any particular genre so it was it was sort of hard to to sell people on what type of movie this was this was going to be it was a lot of speaking parts a lot of locations a lot of really intricate effects um and we just were never really able to get it off the ground um and i think jeremy when he made blue ruin it was sort of a reaction to that because he wrote it trying to do the opposite meaning this will be a straight up revenge movie we can tell people very simply it's about a guy going on a revenge mission get it it makes perfect sense. It's going to be a very limited cast, uh, so we don't have to get a lot of coverage. We're going to he, he he wrote it to the specifics of exactly what he could get for free or for very cheaply. Um, his mother's house, my cousin's cabin, his father's car, and all of that was was designed like the story was designed around what he knew he had. So there wouldn't be like what we had gone through with these other scripts where we were trying to find resources to fit a story that we couldn't do he did it the other way around and uh, that ended up being a really smart way to do it because he was able to make it look like it was more expensive than it was because it's got a lot of locations and a lot of production value and he was able to put what little money he did have uh on the screen so and it was and i mean the success of blue rune was insane looking back because it became like we I seen Blue Rune by chance. I I read I was I like we have a cinema here where you can buy like a pass and it, it's a chain cinema like it's not a which is also a success I suppose if you're coming from a world where you're struggling like you say to afford a mortgage to afford rent and all of a sudden your phone's in a, and you're the lead in like a chain cinema film and it was played all week and me and yeah 
it was i mean it must be nuts like but for me it was just like oh yeah the, the premise seems good i like revenge films um <laughs> you know i like old boy like so anything that's sure. remotely along that line I'm, I'm down with um and I, I remember going to see it and uh i remember going back and and sort of watching uh, not well not so much watching but kind of re uh researching yourself and jeremy and stuff like that as well because I'm that guy. I'm a, I'm a weird guy like that. I like my phones a lot. Um, it's not. It's not weird at all. But do you? And I think you've been asked this question, but I'm going to ask it because I picked up the vibe of it anyway. But how? Well, this is probably a question I know the answer to. But the Cohen brothers. I've always picked up uh, that kind of dark humor and and Blue Ruin. The main character that the part that you played, you kind of wanted him to win. But at the same time, you're kind of like, hmm, I'm not sure if he knows he's quite stupid. Like, and it had a yeah. kind of like dark comedy about it. Was that always intentional? Was that inspired by anything you'd seen by people like the Coen Brothers? Not necessarily them, but that era of or that genre of movies. Maybe. I mean, I, 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 I although I've heard Jeremy kind of speak to that type of question before, like he. It, it, he would be the definitive uh, expert on that, but but what seems correct to me is that, of course, we in, in enjoy those types of movies. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know that there was any, although he did use um, uh, No Country for Old Men as a reference um, when he was pitching the movie to people, but I think that was more of a, a kind of a total reference as far as big uh, open scenes and lots of silences and lots of procedural detail, but I think uh, we've always kind of enjoyed those types of m movies and stories where it's ostensibly serious, but this dark kind of comedy finds its way into it. Um, we were really obsessed with M Miller's Crossing growing up. And, of course, that's a totally different type of movie, and the tone is totally different, but it, it, it does have those moments where it's, it's ghastly and also kind of hilarious simultaneously. So So... I, I would not say that Jeremy set out to say, I'm going to do that type of movie, but I think because we have responded to those types of movies that it, it seems natural that that kind of mixing of tones would be something that he would want to try and do. I think it's also just a result of... He he knew he wanted to do a revenge movie. He knew that I was the actor that he was writing it for and I was available to him it would have been a mistake to have this be the type of revenge movie where the guy is very uh, super capable and tough and badass because I just, it, it would not be plausible on screen for me to play that type of character. What would, what would work, though, would be a guy who was very bad at this and very poorly suited to be an, an action movie hero. And so I think that, you know, inadvertently creates some of the comedy because the guy is not good at this job. He's not... He's not thought it through. He's not proficient with firearms. He's not proficient with fighting. He's not um, like the, especially brave. The, you know, the, he's not especially... The whole fight scene was almost like that. It kind of reminds me of what I would be like in a fight, you know? I kind of, like, stab him in the wrong way. Like, totally. like, it's like... It would be a disaster. I mean, if for, yeah, if, yeah if, if I attempted that, it would, of course it would be a disaster. And I think that was sort of the, the fun take that Jeremy had on... Um, a, a kind of revenge story that that otherwise we've probably seen a lot, but just making the guy really incompetent at it. Um, it made it know. real, though. It made it kind of 
because it was a, it, it's a story I, I would hope to God no one has to live through, but it's not an impossible story. And right. in, in regards to the revenge side of things, I think there's a lot of people that have that in their own life, and that's what film is about. It's sometimes acting out the fantasy of getting back to people who have wronged you. And I think the character you played in it was very real, very sort of almost normalized, if that's a word. Um, yeah, well, he he's he's talked about the sort of notion of... Uh, he, he always phrases this more eloquently than I will, and I, I don't remember it exactly, but it's something along the lines of like taking the myth that gets talked about a lot, especially in America, unfortunately, the myth of uh, the good guy with the gun, that somehow like whatever situation or whatever problem can be averted or solved by one good citizen who happens to be armed. Yeah. And kind of calling bullshit on that, and <laughs> no, like as 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 well intentioned or not well intentioned as this guy may be, and 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 that's debatable. It's 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 not going to end well when 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 that's the way that he decides to to go about solving the problem. So I think that's that that's hopefully why it might feel real is because it doesn't it doesn't apply action movie rules to it, it, if it if it's going to set up this tone of being very real and existing in the real world where you play by the rules of the real world then the conclusion of it also plays by those real world rules which i would think would be disastrous if if you're going to start shooting guns at people it's not going to land exactly where you want it to land and only hit the people that you want it to hit and whatever the so-called good outcome of that kind of situation is going to be it won't be that yeah um and, and that was always jeremy's take on it and i think at the same time you mentioned it was uh you know jeremy's take and, and obviously he he did the writing for the character but I, I think that sort of um part became actually quite that that level of realism was quite similar in what you portrayed in other films as well and also in your di- uh, directing as well I, I felt like and I mean I'm skipping well ahead again but um with Elijah Wood I felt like Elijah Wood in your film was like a weird guy but he's good at mm-hmm. playing weird but he was believable he was kind of real at the same time in a kind of ludicrous way and um I, f- I feel like throughout all of the films that we've mentioned so far there, there's a there's a very real aspect and believable aspect to it, but at the same time, it's it's total fantasy at points, and I don't know how you capture that. I yeah, I don't know. I think I just it, it's speaking for myself and and the movie that I got to do, and and maybe Jeremy would have a different answer, but I think it's just um, feeling connected to to the character you kind of you, you need to anchor them if if not in somebody that you know like in what your perception of the world is and i i i love heightened movies where the heroes are are ultra capable and impervious to harm and always know a, a, a cool way to deal with a problem and have a cool way of talking about it that that's very enjoyable to me but um just for myself, if I'm going to invest all the the time and energy and anxiety and and in in making a movie and and to to be able to need to know the answers to questions that everyone's going to ask me in order to 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 make a movie, then I, I have to feel kind of connected to the characters in a in a in a true way as opposed to a a heightened way. And and I'm not being dismissive of other types of movies. That's just what makes sense for me. 
Um, I sense that's probably what makes sense for Jeremy as well. So that's why I think there's probably a... It feels like there's some overlap there because I think we both feel more connected to people who are real and fallible and 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 not suited for the uh, the the fun heightened sort of situations that we've built around them. In Jeremy's case, it's you know being trapped in a in a Nazi stronghold or yeah. or going on a revenge mission or something like that. But um, yeah, there's a, a, a there's definitely a sort of some a, a, an overlap of sensibilities there. Yeah, but I suppose you grow up together and you learn stuff from your childhood in every way, shapes, as a form, and that that stays. I think. Um, Probably. Yeah. So Blue Ruin, massive, obviously goes enormous. Uh, people like across like the, across the pond. Myself see the film. I I remember people talking about it on on Facebook. That yeah, that, that for you. Like what? What doors does that suddenly open? Can you go to the supermarket without someone recognizing you? At that level of stuff, or oh yeah, for sure. No, no, no. I'm, 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 I'm very anonymous, and and that's <laughs> that's fine. I, every now and again, it's happened. I could probably count it on one hand where where somebody maybe has noticed me as I've been somewhere, and it's always kind of startling and and flattering, and because they they always have something yeah. nice to say. Um, but. Uh, yeah, no, I, that's 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 more of an aberration than 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 not. Um, but yeah, it was it was <laughs> hilarious and surprising. Mainly, like the first thing was just a, a tremendous sense of relief uh, that it went well for Jeremy and, and his family, and pride in my buddy because he did such a good job, and he's getting recognized for 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 something that I knew for a long time and it was kind of like everybody else is sort of like oh this dude's really good at this job like i know that's what we've been trying to tell you uh and so 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 that was really gratifying and and yeah and then it was fun that in in the meantime i jeremy had kind of been focusing on a a directing track i had been focusing on acting and screenwriting so i had all these scripts that were just sitting around the a, a lot of them are not good but some of them were i i felt comfortable enough sharing them with people and uh prior to blue ruin there was just no recognition and no access and then after blue ruin it's not that anybody was like done deal i'm gonna buy your scripts it's just that they would return my emails and they would say oh right okay and and at least know who you are from uh a film festival or whatever yes i will read what you send me um, and th- that only gets you so far, but at, at least there's like a little bit of, um, a, a little bit of access that wasn't there before, which turned into some other jobs, sometimes writing jobs, sometimes, um, other acting jobs, but it, it, it certainly helped kind of kick the door open, uh, a little bit. It, it, it didn't necessarily make everything, it didn't make anything fall into my lap, but it, it, it open the door a little bit which was nice did you get offered anything like really crazy that was just like not you at all for acting yeah i i've never been offered anything it's all audition but i've i've gotten to audition for some really uh exciting stuff um and a a few of the like i i got for example last year i got to do i got to work on a movie um that Steven Soderbergh was directing and out of sight is like one of these, my top 10 
I have a hard time making top ten lists because it always changes and it depends on what sort of mood I'm in. But Out of Sight always tends to be on one of those, if I have to think of my favorite movies of all time, that tends to be one. Anyways, um, so that was amazing to get to do, uh, to, to get to do a little part in, in a movie with him. Um, that was pretty remarkable. There were some other ones that I got to audition for that I didn't actually get, but it's fun to just consider like you, that, you're in the mix for these, um, for these big movies that are just you, you. You would never have thought yourself to be even in contention for, and then here you are getting getting called in to do uh, auditions for them. So yeah. that's, uh, that's that's 2018 out of sight, I believe. Is that right? I think that that's uh, out of sight is 2018. I think the release for that is that correct? Oh no! Out of sight was nineteen ninety eight or ninety nine. Oh, the 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 new soda. Yeah. The new one. Soda, yeah, the new yeah. one it, it's out this August. It's called Logan Lucky. Oh okay, that's me getting completely confused. Oh, um, no no no! no. Uh, yeah, Logan Lucky. It's it's fun. It's gonna be like a. Uh, uh, I, I don't mean this pejoratively. It's like a hillbilly Ocean's Eleven. I think okay. somebody else described it that way. I'm just repeating that, That's but a yeah, great description, man. Like it's it's basically it's like it's like yeah. a heist movie, but where nobody is, it, they don't have all the cool gadgets and plans of the Ocean's Eleven movie. They're not. It's just sort of everybody's bumbling and kind of making a mess of things. But it it I haven't seen it. The script is hilarious, and I was delighted to get to to get to be a part of it. Yeah, man. And it's 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 weird. I didn't plan on it uh, on the questions landing in this manner or direction. But um, we've talked about it opening doors, uh, what Blue Ruin did, and uh, you know, it's it's still people. We I still talk about it on quite a regular basis. But <laughs> then you go into. I mean, I know Green Room was a film by Jeremy, and I know it was maybe not the lead role, but. <laughs> You, you go into Green Room and you have people like Patrick Stewart and, of course, the late, obviously, Anton Yelchin as well, who was obviously, yeah. at the time, one of the most well-known and up-and-coming young actors. And how did it feel... Yeah, yeah he, he, was, he was tremendous. Um, how did it feel to go from Blue Ruin, where you were the lead and it was very successful, to going into a film where it was kind of all an equal part, maybe Anton the most... Uh, um, but to go into like a room with people like Patrick Stewart, like, I mean, was it like a kind of like a freak out moment? Like, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, it it, it was interesting though because I um I really wanted that part. I I I loved Jeremy's script as I figured that I would, and that was the the, the part that I played was the one that I knew. It was really the only one that I knew that I could do a good job with. That was the one I really wanted, and I told him that. and And he was, in a very kind way, he basically said, "I don't, I don't think you should be in this movie. I just, I don't see it." No, um, and uh, and he, it, and it's just like he, he, he has such a. Um, what am I trying to say? He, he has such a distinct sort of idea in his head of, of what his movies are going to be. And, uh, and he knows very much what he wants. And so it's not like, and, and, and the result of, of doing the movie the way that he wants to do it is so important. And that's not like a, that's not a, a diva thing. It's just that like the way his head works, like he knows exactly how the machinery needs to click together. And if he feels like one part is not the right fit, even if that part is his buddy who he grew up with, then 
he's he just needs to do what's right for the movie and so he was uh, again very kind but just like no i i don't see it and so i went ahead and said okay fair enough i i hear that let me just audition for you just to see and then that way if 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 it definitely doesn't work uh as an audition in character then we'll just drop it and he said all right fine and uh so i did i taped an audition and then got the part based on the audition which I, which I was really glad for because when you're then show up on set and people like Anton and Patrick Stewart and, and Imogen are there, I, I didn't want to feel like I'm only here because I'm buddies with the director and he threw me a bone and said that because I was in his last one, I get to be in this one. I, I didn't want to think that. I didn't want to wonder if anybody else was thinking that. I definitely didn't want Jeremy to feel that way. Like, ah, shit, I don't think this guy's right for this part, but I, I owe him something, or he's my buddy, so out of a sense of obligation, I'm just going to give him the part. I was really glad to only be there because I I had submitted for it like everybody else had, and he and the casting director had collectively decided that they wanted me for that. Does that make sense? Yeah, so no, it was it not is, like a, no, it, totally it was not a gimme. And I, yes. I thought you played the part really well. I think it's weird in every especially in blue rune i i had your back like i totally had <laughs> i had dwight's back i was like no he, he's gonna come out of this smelling of fucking roses it'll all be fine right and, but kind of and i mean to be fair you you were playing the part of a nazi so maybe this is not that surprising but the minute you appeared on the screen i was like no no i like him but fuck that guy like no he's gonna get shit on in the end man and like rightly so yeah i mean and it was it was such a great film from and i mean i can't claim to be and no one wants to say they're a punk kid but i'll tell you what i found weird did you have any when you were young um did you have any experience of like punk shows because you would have been brought up in that era where there was neo-nazis in the punk scene there, there was and it was just before my time and i'm so lucky that i've only seen yeah for sure we, we grew up we we grew up in the suburbs, but our suburbs were right outside of Washington D.C., which had a really vibrant, hardcore scene. Yeah, Roland, um, of course. And uh, Jeremy would go to a lot of those shows. I would go to some of them, not as many. Um, I, I I was into you know I listened to Misfits and Bad Brains and that kind of stuff. I didn't go to the hardcore shows as much, but I went to some, and you would see. Um, Nazis hanging around and they were were creepy and I you know you're kind of like ah you guys are gross. Yeah. Uh, J- Jeremy had a lot m- had m- much more sort of. I don't think he ever actually tangled with any of them, but he would see them um, kind of you know roughing people up and and being a little over aggressive in the in the dance pit and stuff like that. And a lot of that his sort of observations. Uh, from those shows, found them found their way into the script. He's he, he said that that was sort of a, a, at least a partial inspiration for him thinking about you know taking the the presence of these people that exude a kind of violence or a kind of menace and then taking that to uh, the most bizarre conclusion possible where it actually manifests itself in a in, in like an action movie scenario with them as the aggressors. Um, so yeah, it was it was something I was sort of tangentially aware of, but thankfully not actually face to face with too often. Yeah, same, 
thank fuck, um, thank God. But yeah, and then uh, you know, um, moving on to obviously your newest stuff, and I think um, as I was saying before, probably the most impressive um, that you've been involved in, which is. You know, of course, uh, the the director, directorial debut, which I cannot say, no matter how many times I try to say it. Um, That's all right. <laughs> but what I found quite interesting, and and I know that you've got history in in producing, and I know you've got because um, you you co-produced Green Room, right? I did, but to be fair, I I I would not consider myself. Um, I would not be good at the kind of job and I, and I wouldn't want to promote myself as, as the kind of producer where it's an actual organizational paperwork detail oriented running the ship kind of producer. I got, I, I, I was, I was given producer credits because I would basically run back up to Jeremy, meaning helping him with uh, more on the creative side of things, whether that was with music or locations or casting or research just kind of coming so i mean i i don't know i just like i i'm always careful to say like well i was not the i wouldn't know how to do for example a film budget if my life depended on it it like it, it would that would be the the worst film budget you'd ever seen i wouldn't know how to negotiate a union contract i wouldn't know how to negotiate financial stuff um but yeah the the the, the producing roles was kind of for being a, a a partner to Jeremy in on those particular projects, I've lost the question. What was I? I was babbling. What um, was no, it's fine. I, I've lost it too, but it's okay. I have a like a, a electronic notepad in front of me, so this is all good. I, oh, good. I can come back to this. But um, yeah, like I think what I, I I was thinking as I was thinking through the timeline of stuff you've done. Obviously, you did a lot of stuff um, where you did. Uh, co-producer or produce or and obviously you had history in um being that director as well but you get a big hit with blue ruin and being an actor you get a part in green room all of a sudden things are clicking into place and then you say okay i'm going to take a step yeah. back and i'm going to direct this and i mean mm-hmm. it's a risk of course and you know that as, as well as i do i suppose and obviously it's gone really well it's winning the it won the grand jury prize but what was your thought process when you thought no for this one, I want to direct it. I don't. And you acted on it for like what two minutes? You're the bartender for like two minutes, maybe. Um, yeah, yeah. But what what is the thought process on changing up what you wanted to do in that period of of your life? Well, it was I. I always kind of had this long term plan that was not very well formed. It was kind of this floating. I. I just wanted to do as much as I could in movie making and I had started out getting into it by acting and writing and at some point down the line I knew I wanted to direct and I was always I, I realized I was always kind of kicking that can down the road and didn't really have I, I didn't really know exactly how or when it was always just kind of at some vague point in the future that's what I would do and then it started to occur to me like i'm i'm getting ready to turn 40 there there's there's not really going to be a at some point down the road um and as it happened as i was starting to 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 um feel like i needed to be and i needed to figure something out more concretely than just at some point around the same time as i was starting to feel that way we were making green room and the producers that worked on that 
were very uh, they just expressed an interest basically um and in so many words they said if as soon as you have something written that you want to direct show it to us first and we'll see what we can do with it and so um i i did i started writing the script with the idea and the sort of mindset of like let's assume um, the likelihood that you will only get to do this one time and you get like this one chance, even if who knows what's going to happen, but at least in the writing of it, let's assume that you only get to do this once. And so I, I really just tried to bake in as many of the things that I really loved about movies and the types of things that I would want to see as a audience member into this one story. So that was a kind of a crime story, kind of a romance, a lot of slapstick, uh, uh, physical comedy, um, that kind of thing, and um, and it it was just it, it felt kind of like a personal story, not autobiographical necessarily, but just was was about something that I just felt like I wanted to express at that moment, which was just like holy shit, we are we're killing ourselves. The the it the you know the campaign had not totally said that the american presidential campaign had not totally kicked into high gear trump was still kind of on the fringes but scary enough because people were taking him reasonably seriously it it had not totally gone down the shitter the way it has now but it was starting (laughs) to feel that way and um and it was just 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 like this growing sense of anxiety and unease and disgust about the state of things and wanting to sort of play with those sorts of ideas in the context of a fun caper type story and a relationship story anyways so that was the script that i wrote and i took it to those guys uh neil and anish uh, who were jeremy's producers and they took it under their wing and spent a lot of time and energy trying to get it off the ground and it it, it again it's one of those things like you talked about with uh, the sort of overnight nature of uh jeremy and, and blue ruin and it sort of seems like that with this one but it it comes on the heels of almost a year of those two guys um, and their partner Vincent, that 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 one little group, just kind of quietly trying to get it uh, off the ground, a lot of different places, and and yeah. people responded to it, um, and they were they were nice enough about it, but we we just were having a hard time getting the 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 money in place, and then at at the very last minute, when it was starting to look like we just weren't going to get the money and we weren't going to be able to hit our production window and those guys would have to go off and do a different movie and it may just go away at the very last minute we were able to get connected with um netflix and we pitched it to them and they uh financed it from the get-go so it was not that we made the movie and then they purchased it it was that they they set it up they they paid for it from the beginning and it was always going to be a a Netflix original. So, uh, yeah, it was, I, I don't know. It was, um, something I will forever feel very, very grateful for. It was, I I was very surprised that I got the opportunity. It was really, I think like going back to it really boils down to, uh, the film science guys, because they have this reputation in indie movies. They've done all of Jeremy's movies. They've done Kelly Reichert's movies. They have this credibility. Um, people may have read some scripts of mine. They've seen me act in a couple of things. That's great. I don't have. I didn't have anything at that time to say you should trust me with a budget to direct a movie. Yeah. It was really that, that they kind of staked their reputation on it, and then by extension, 
um, a producer named Metamarie Kongsved at XYZ Films who brought it to Netflix ultimately uh, kind of put her reputation on it. So they, all of these people vouched for me. Yeah. Um, it ended up working out because it was received reasonably well. It, it got to go to a, a really nice festival and it did well there. But um, it, it, it probably would not have happened if those folks had not gotten behind it um, at, a, at a very early stage. <coughs> I've got a little cough going on here. <coughs> there we go. So one one thing I did want to kind of ask as well is though, um, obviously, like you say, you know, people stake their reputation as well. But how how do you get someone like Elijah Wood just to walk into the movie? Well, I he lives part time in Texas where I live, oh, okay. and so and and he he goes to a lot of film festivals. There's one in particular called Fantastic Fest, which if you ever get a chance to go to it, I, I cannot recommend it enough. It's so much fun. It takes place in Austin in the fall, I want to say. Yeah, early fall. Anyways, um, so I would just see him around at this film festival, and we we didn't really know each other, but we had met enough to say hello and introduce each other a couple of times. Yeah. But as I was writing the script, um, I just... I don't know. He, I, I kind of ended up writing it for him. Like very early on, I, I, I sort of got his face in my head for this character and kind of started writing to his physicality and and. He has um, those eyes. He has. I mean, I remember like I seen Maniac with him. And those he eyes. does. I know, but I, I associate those eyes with Frodo Baggins, and so that's why I wanted to. I wanted to yeah. cut them, and so I. I, I my director of photography was very irritated with me because they create a lot of problems with reflections, but I, I, was, I was really insistent that I wanted to put him in ugly half-tank <laughs> glasses to, to obscure the famous hobbit eyes as much as possible. Anyways, um, so I knew I wanted him, or, or rather, I knew that my the, the dream version of this character was him, just as the dream version of Ruth was Melanie Linsky. Those were the two that I kind of had in my mind. And so before we had any money and before it was real, I just sent him the script. I ran into him at one of the film festivals and I just said, man, sorry to bother you. I wrote something. I just think you'd be really good for this part. Would you mind reading it? And again, I kept my expectations very low. He's busy. I didn't know. Whatever. I didn't know. But I sent it to him and he read it really quickly and, and really liked it and wanted to do it. And so I, th- that to me, when somebody that – if you've got them in your mind and they're excited to do it, right. then I just really wanted to make that work. And a very similar thing happened with Melanie too. I, I, I had never met her, but I sent the script to her and we, we talked on Skype and she also really wanted to do it. And so I, I just got really attached to this idea of them doing it. I think they were both perfect. Yeah. I thought Melanie was amazing in that film, and I I don't know much of Melanie. Of course, I'm a 30 year old man. I I know who Elijah Wood is, and I, I know every part he's done. But I thought I really felt Melanie was like standout in that film. Like she was so good. Thought, absolutely, and I thought she was too. But what happened was we we I had those conversations with those two about a year before we actually made the movie and we were trying to raise the money through traditional avenues and everybody likes them they they everyone is very um you know has nothing but nice things to say about them as people and them their their work as actors but 
for whatever reason, they did not end up on a lot of people's lists of people that get the money for for whatever reason. And I don't understand it because to me, I'm like, this is the star from Lord of the Rings. Shouldn't he get the money forever for the rest of time in perpetuity? I don't know. But this is what I'm being told. And so we, you know, at the time with, we were given a set list of people that that would get the financing that we needed um and and they weren't on the list and so it kind of felt like oh rats that 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 would have been great it's not going to work um and so we we pursued other people for a time other actors who also would have been great in the part um but they ended up turning down uh the project for whatever reason they were busy they didn't like the script who knows but they they ended up uh, turning it down, which ended up being the best thing, because what we didn't know it, at the time, it, it felt like, oh shit, we're never going to get this movie made. But they turned it down, um, and then we ended up getting together with Netflix, which we didn't know was going to happen. And Netflix was very um, open to this casting idea. You know, I, I went in and I pitched them the story, and I told them the tone and what we wanted to do. And then they said, all right, well, who do you think you want to play these parts? And I was like, I have to be, if you're asking me, I want Melanie and Elijah to play these parts thinking that I would need to make a case for them. And Netflix just said, great, they're perfect. Let's do it. And so, um, it was really gratifying at, at, at long last to get to call them back and say, thank you for being patient. I really hope you're available because now we're in a position where we can offer you these, these parts. And, they were perfect for those roles as I yeah. as I knew they would be. So it was it was very gratifying to, for it to come full circle and, and get to do it with them after all. For sure. And I, I couldn't agree more. And I think anyone who hasn't seen it, everyone has Netflix. Just watch it. Like, it, it's <laughs> so good. And I mean, I I would tell you, you if I if I felt it, it wasn't as good as, say, Blue Ruin or, or things previous. But I genuinely enjoyed it. Like, I was actually surprised how much I enjoyed it. I knew I Thank would you. like it. But I yeah. was like, shit, that, like, I, I didn't sleep so well that night. <laughs> it was the kind of, I was like, oh, that guy's throat was really fucked. And like, the whole story was yeah, just was... like, what, that was insane. And, um, but I think the parts that both people played, and like I said about Elijah with his eyes, the way he, the parts he can play, um, I, I knew, I, I like Elijah an awful lot. I think, I think, not Lord of the Rings, I don't like Lord of the Rings. I'm going to admission, I... I'm not a fan. I'm, I'm going to hold my hands up, but um, <laughs> I seen him in like uh, the the remake of Maniac, and that yeah. Well, we we know what happens in that, um, and I yeah. I've just really I loved him. I've loved him in pretty much any creepy role that he's done. Um, but I thought Melanie was so no wasn't familiar with and was amazing and I fully agree I think the films the films a real real good film and I think it's one of the best films that I've seen over the past year or so so I'd, I'd heavily recommend you carry on directing shit because uh, I, I like that and I care about myself and my films a lot so <laughs> that feels great to hear Thank, I, I, uh, I'm trying to get another one off the ground now um, yeah what is the future for you now just to, to kind of finish it's... up what's your future it's funny you should say that you hope that I continue directing shit. It's it's called the Shitheads. Oh um, God! Holy shit! That is uh that was I didn't know that that was the phone. Nope. So it's for, for the yeah. listeners, we didn't know. We had no idea. That's that I. I <laughs> it's entirely likely that at some point down the line, somebody will insist that I change that title. But for right now, it's called the Shitheads. It's a 
it's a road movie and a comedy. Uh, it's it's more. Uh, I don't know. I, I think it's more overtly a comedy than the last one, but we'll see. Um, but yeah, so it's. I would say it's like nah, I, I feel like it's it, we're, we're good to go. It's it's uh, it's been announced and everything, so we should be on track to to do that in uh, in uh, to shoot it this fall. Good. So awesome. Yeah. Well, it, you know, if you need anyone for you know extras or the the main the main part, I have no experience. But I, I you want to come I, over and be in the movie? Yeah. Why not? You know. Oh, you you can. I I I don't charge much, so I'm just like five grand per day. So don't worry. You know. I'm, it's very reasonable. That seems like a very reasonable, uh, very reasonable fee. I'm sure we could make that work. Yeah, man. I mean, I so. it's going to be Atlanta in the fall. If you if, if you can get over to Atlanta, we'll find something for you to do. That works, <laughs> man. That works for me. That that's the big break I've been hoping for, man. Thanks. Um, so before I let you go, there's always uh, a question I ask every person I have on, and um, sure. I suppose it's more difficult asking an actor as opposed to a musician. But it, you know, fuck it, we'll go with it. It's a thing. Right. Um, two things that you would recommend somebody to watch that you've been involved in, even in the smallest or, or longest parts, um, for people that may not have seen anything that you've done, what would you recommend as the two things A, you're most proud of, or B, you would recommend to a stranger? That I have personally been involved with? Yeah, you can be acting, directing, writing, co-producing, what, whatever you want, as long as your name is there somewhere with it. Yeah, I I would say uh, Blue Ruin, and I don't feel at home in this world anymore uh, for different reasons. But I, I I'm uh, yeah, I, I think of the the latter as kind of uh, my baby that I got to uh, that that I got to do with with some really lovely and wonderful people, and the, the former Blue Ruin that I got to do with. Uh, my very good friend and it was sort of a, a turning point for for the both of us and something that i'm also very proud of um I'm, I'm i'm proud of and and grateful for everything i've gotten to do in some way but those would be the ones that probably rise to the top of the list i think i would agree i would agree with that but i think people probably know that but thank you um so much for for giving me the time it's been um i i, I hope you've had fun i genuinely I hope yeah. you've had fun um, for sure. Uh, hopefully, uh, I'll be able to to make another movie and and come back and talk to you again. Or maybe I'll just see you on the set and give you directions. Well, I was gonna say you made a promise you can't go back on now. So <laughs> well, it's legally binding. Everybody's heard it on the podcast. There's no way to go back. It's recorded, on so you're, you're stuck yep. with it now. And the fee five per day. Um, cool. But genuinely, thank you very much for for doing it. It's um, I'm a huge fan of what you do. Huge fan of almost everything you've been involved in since I've first bumped into you in terms of Blue Ruin. So you keep on doing stuff. Um, I will definitely still be tuning in because I can't imagine things are going to get bad or worse or anything that I'm not going to like. You just, you get what I like and you make oh. it. No, it's true. You you know <laughs> when you just have a person, you have a style that you like and you have it. So it works for me. But um, like I say, I hope awesome. you had fun. Thank you so much for your, your hour and five minutes of your day. <laughs> I certainly had fun. Thank you for inviting me. I appreciate it, and uh, I hope to talk to you again soon. Indeed. Thank you so much, man. All right, man. I'll talk to you later. Oh, I never really realized how much of a cold I had at that point when I did that. I sound really snuffly. That was a really bad cold. I had it for like three weeks. Anyway, yeah, how did you enjoy the podcast? 
I ask to an empty room and my cat can't speak to me. Um, but yeah, I enjoyed that and I hope you did as well. Um, again, thanks as always for tuning in to the podcast. I really hope that after this you want to listen further to... Listen further to? No, watch his stuff further. Well, technically you do both, don't you? You watch and you listen. Um, so yeah, whatever. But yeah, I hope you have a vested interest in uh, Mick and Blair's films. Um, much like I do, I think he's going to be huge. I think he's going to get massive and the gentleman that he is i really hope he does um so as always two weeks uh there'll be another podcast um and we have a writer on next week um podcast is already done i'm actually someone who is a friend of a friend of a friend of a friend um and an up-and-coming awesome author which i'm pretty excited to showcase because i think he's probably deserving of the showcase um, of a podcast because I think he has a great mind um, but yeah um, tune in subscribe as always talk to me on Facebook Twitter whatever medium you prefer and I'm sure and I hope we will speak again cool catch you